Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Well, it looks like uh, the end of our nice fall weather might be around the corner here. John Wheeler's uh, forecast is predicting the temperatures to drop uh, to the 40s for a high by the end of the week. Sorry to discourage you with that thought. But in light of the end of fall coming, farmers are certainly doing all they can to get the harvest off. Um, some of us are scurrying to do some other things as well. I'm thankful I got my garden cleaned out and dug, and my snowblower's in the garage now. There's definitely more to do yet before winter hits. Um, the coming of the end of things shapes our mindset, and it causes us to take some action, doesn't it? When we get to our first Peter chapter 4, Peter reminds his readers there that the end of all things is near. And much of what he writes in this whole letter has that in mind. Uh, we've seen in previous weeks uh, his emphasis on Christians being aliens and exiles uh, here on earth just for a short time and just passing through on the, on the way um, to our permanent home. And along with that, then, the concern we are to have for eternal souls of those around us that are going to face the judgment of God. The section of Peter that we look at today gives us a perspective on the suffering that we Christians might encounter during our earthly lives by pointing us then also to the suffering that Jesus Christ went through on our behalf. And so I invite you to look with me at 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll begin with verse 8. And, and as I read from there, um, notice here, how we Christians are to live in light of the end of all things. Let you stand in reverence to God's word as I read. <clears throat> First Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 8. Finally, all of you have, humil or have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to this you have were called, that you might obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. We're going to stop there at this point. I'll be referencing some later verses after that, but let's uh, pause and pray. 
Lord God, we just thank you for your word today, and we pray that as we meditate on this passage, Lord, you'd give us understanding into how you want us to live as Christians, Lord, in light of the end of all things being around the corner, Lord. You know your timing for all things, Lord, but we pray that uh, you would quicken our hearts, that we would desire to live for you uh, in the time that we have here. Uh, We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. invite you to uh, keep your Bibles open there, or if you have those uh, scripture journals, to look at that. There's some challenging things coming up in what we go through here. It might be helpful to be able to see in front of you. As we approach the end of all things on this earth before Christ returns, Peter reminds Christians of how we ought to live and, and how we are to respond to the evil that might be directed at us. As you look in verses 8 and, and following there, then, then we see this, that Christians are to live uh, pursuing uh, unity with the brethren and, and peace with all. Our relationships with each other are to be characterized by having unity of mind when we keep our mission of winning the lost for Christ before us, then there's a willingness to submit ourselves to each other and a willingness to also set aside those petty misunderstandings and hostilities. We're to have sympathy to each other, a readiness to then enter into and share feelings of each other, whether that be sorrowful or joyful. There's to be brotherly love for fellow believers, considering each other not even just comrades, but Rather, brothers and sisters in Christ. There's to be tenderheartedness or compassion for all people, and there's to be humility. The opposite of self-centered pride is other-centered humility. And we Christians should expect to be then, also as we live in this world, encountering evil and, and reviling sometimes from unbelievers. But we are to be returning a blessing. Uh, One commentator said it this way, even when Christians are cursed, they bless. This is how Christians get even. They pay back evil with good, insults with blessing. I'm sure about all of you are aware of the war that now exists in Israel following the Hamas uh, terrorist attacks there. and In the middle of uh, the Palestinian-controlled Gaza Strip, there has been one Christian-run hospital It's been there since uh, 1982 when Anglican missionaries started it at looking at it as an opportunity to reach Muslims with the gospel. And over the years, this hospital has provided some of the finest medical care available right there in the middle of one of the world's most troubled places. After those first uh, rocket attacks by Hamas on October 7th, Israel had ordered evacuation of citizens in the area. And hundreds of Palestinians took refuge in the courtyard of this hospital, thinking that would be a very safe place for their families. Well, last week there was an explosion at that hospital that killed volumes of of Palestinians and others. And Hamas blamed the explosion on Israel. Uh, Israel defense forces say it was a blast from a failed rocket launch of a Hamas-aligned militant group. But the interesting thing to me was the statement that came from the director of this hospital. It said this, and I quote, We are here as an instrument in the hands of God to show the love of Jesus Christ for all people. We are proud that in all conflicts this hospital was there to eliminate the suffering of the injured, the poor, and to help those in need of a compassionate heart. This hospital will continue to be a place of reconciliation and love. He went on to say, The Arab Christian can be a mediator between the Jews and the Muslims, the West and the Middle East. Christians should be here 
to help and to give a good example of Christianity. As we look in our text today here in verses 8 through 12, Peter is telling Christians in his day that were scattered by persecution that because they know the blessing of God and have received forgiveness of their sins, they can bless and forgive others who sin against them. Suffering becomes our opportunity to meet evil with good and cursing with blessing. And we Christians then are to be praying and trusting the Lord to deal with the evil. We, we can be free from vindictiveness because we trust God's justice. And we are free to bless others because we know God's goodness and his forgiveness. Peter quotes from Psalm 34. And he says, Whoever desires to live life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. And then he explains why. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and, their ears, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And so trusting in this promise that God is listening to our prayers and that he will in the end bring judgment on those who do evil and don't repent. When we're persecuted for our faith, we can pray and we can entrust ourselves to God. And Peter reminds us here that, that if we suffer for righteousness, for righteousness' sake, we'll be blessed. And we need not live then in fear of men. And as you think about this, think of Peter and, and this powerful life lesson that Peter learned. Remember how he had been so afraid of men before. Uh, when, when Jesus was arrested, Peter had followed at a distance, wanting to be anonymous. And, and when a slave girl had identified him as a follower of Jesus, he denied he even knew Jesus at all. But after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, Peter, empowered by the Holy Spirit, became this bold witness for Jesus, willing to stand up to the very Jewish Sanhedrin who had condemned Jesus to death. The one who used to fear men now boldly confronts men. And now he finds um, in persecution there's an opportunity, an opportunity for witness. We're seeing in our society these days this mounting pressure to be quiet about our faith in Jesus and to conform to ever-changing moral standards. And if we don't, then the ungodly around us get increasingly irritated at us. Because our God-ordained standards expose their sin and condemn them. And so we contend to, out of fear, shrink back rather than speaking out. But Peter is telling us here, don't do that. This is your opportunity. This is your opportunity to point to Jesus. In verse 15, he reminds us that, that honoring Christ as Lord in our hearts and means always being ready to give an account for the hope that we have within us. Uh, commentator says this, the, the antidote to the fear of men is awareness of the glory of the Lord himself. Think about it, after Jesus rose from the dead, Peter clearly grasped that Jesus truly was that all-powerful Son of God. We sing about that when we sing uh, songs here at church. Uh, we recognize Jesus being the Lord. But do we live our daily lives like he is? We thank Jesus for forgiveness of all of our sins. But do we really believe that everyone around us also needs him? If we do, then we'll be praying and looking for opportunity to give an account for the hope that we have within us. It's interesting hearing from one parishioner couple recently 
about, about a friend of theirs who at one point had seemed kind of hostile to Christianity, saying, don't talk about God to me, who later then found she had cancer. And because she had seen this couple and some of the trials they'd gone through and health problems and so on and seen their strong faith, she now asked them for prayer and, and gladly received Christian literature and, and wanted to talk about how God helps us in difficult times. Always be ready to give an account for the hope that's within you. And Peter adds here in verse 15, yet do it, how? You see that there? Yet with gentleness and respect. Nobody likes to be talked down to. And, there, and there's no place for pride and smugness in, in our Christian witness. We Christians need to be careful of that. A condescending attitude closes the door on our witness and it closes the ears of those who need to hear the basis for the hope that we have within us. On the other hand, a gentle and respectful approach is much more likely to be received well and it also then keeps our conscience clear. It leaves us with no need to apologize later for that negative tone. Verse 16, Peter says that, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that be God's will, than for doing evil. So we look at this next section. If you have your Bible still open there, look at that with me. And uh, most of it I haven't read yet to you. <clears throat> it's a challenging passage of Scripture to understand. I, I've spent the week working on it, reading some translations and commentators, and, and trying to sort out just how much I should cover in a sermon. Um, and I found this interesting quote from Martin Luther concerning it. He says this, A wonderful text this is, and a more obscure passage perhaps than any other in the New Testament, so that I do not know for a certainty just what Peter means. That from Luther. Well, with that, let me read the verses. But as I read it, read it with this in mind, that there are some things that are quite clear in this text, and it's very important that we understand. And then there are some things mentioned in which there are various perspectives within the Christian church. So begin with verse 18, it says this. <clears throat> For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. It's a long couple sentences, isn't it? And we need to just walk through that a bit of time here. But in this chapter, Peter's been talking about suffering. <clears throat> about our suffering for righteousness' sake. And, and here now then he steps back to talk about Christ, our Savior, who suffered for our sakes. But I noticed something else in these verses even before that, and that is this, that, that God himself is long-suffering. Interesting word. In, in verse 20, when it talks about God's patience in the days of Noah, the word there in the Greek is long-suffering. King James translates it that, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. And I think it was even in our confession of sin today, that concept of God. God, is, as he looked down from heaven in those days of Noah and the ark, 
He saw that almost all of society was bent on evil and ungodly living, and he was patient and he was waiting, as it took years for, for Noah to build that ark. And, and you might say God was silently suffering as he watched a world so bent on sin and corruption before he then brought judgment in the form of the great flood. Well, our God is still long-suffering. He is patiently waiting for more to come to repentance before he brings the end of the world in the final judgment day. And so with that, then we turn our thoughts to what that long-suffering God has done in response to this sin-sick world. And we see in these verses then Christ's suffering and its vindication. What God chose to do for sinners is to come down to this earth in the form of his only begotten son and to suffer the judgment that we deserve for our sins. Verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Christ suffered once for our sins. His death on the cross was substitutionary. God's righteous wrath against sin and against all sinners was poured out on Jesus on the cross. And Christ's sacrificial death then completed the payment. And that's why on the cross then Jesus declared, it is finished. Which literally be translated, the debt has been paid in full. And Peter makes clear here God's purpose in Christ's sacrificial death. Christ suffered for us in order to bring us to God. Paul in Colossians says this, that Christ's death canceled out that certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us which was hostile to us. And he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And Peter goes on to say about Jesus here, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. If you look at my outline here, I, I say this. After Christ's suffering, he was vivified. Now that's a new word for me. Um, it might be for some of you too. Vivified means made alive, quickened. It, it describes this sudden renewal of life or activity. Christ's dead body became alive again. Though for three days it, had, it didn't breathe and blood did not throw or flow through its veins, those functions began working again. And his body was resurrected, glorified form, um, and that's very clear from the Gospels. But this is where Peter's words get a little more complicated to sort out after that here, as he talks about being put to death in the flesh but being made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. And this, by the way, is the primary passage we rely on as we confess in the Apostles' Creed about Jesus descending into hell. And so when and why and how he descended to hell has often been misunderstood. He didn't go there to suffer. God's wrath was already fully poured out on him on the cross. And he didn't go there to preach the gospel to the evil spirits or condemned souls and thus give them another chance to repent. When a human draws their last breath, he's run out of chances. Just when this descent into hell occurred is, is unclear, except to say that it was sometime between his burial and his first Easter morning appearances to the women and to the disciples. And I think uh, I might have spoken wrongly before on some of this too, to say that uh, he went to hell in spirit only. Um, this verse says he, he was made alive in the Spirit, or by the Spirit, and, and went and proclaimed. So why and, and what did he proclaim? 
In, in uh, the Book of Concord, um, it has this quote, I think sums it up well. The, the descent of Christ into the lower world is the true, real, and supernatural movement by which Christ, having been freed from the chains of death and restored to life, in his entire person, betook himself to the lower regions that he might exhibit himself to the evil spirits and to condemn men as the conqueror of death, end quote. So who particularly does Peter mention here in verse 20 that Christ proclaimed this to? There certainly could have been others, but it included those then who formerly did not obey when God's patience or long-suffering waited there in the days of Noah. And so in hell then, Christ proclaimed his resurrection victory and their doom. Now there's one other challenging part that comes next here um, to also understand in this passage, and, and Peter speaks of, of how when the ark was prepared, a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. And that part's easy enough to understand. It's referring to Noah and his family. <clears throat> but then Peter adds this, verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Or like this, and baptism now saves you. Well, what is Peter saying here? Well, the, the, the water of the great flood that, that brought judgment then on the rest of the world also saved Noah and his family as it lifted the ark above the flood of judgment. And in some similar way then, he's saying baptism saves you. And again, I think it's important to clarify here some things Peter is not saying, and he does that actually in verse 21 here as well. He says it's not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so he is saying it's not merely the pouring of water on a body that saves. If it was that simple, then we could just get out the garden hose and spray the neighbors when they come by, and we would save their eternal souls. Merely using water to clean up the outside doesn't save anyone's um, eternal soul. <clears throat> and also we want to be careful that we don't perpetuate a perspective that I'm afraid has become all too common in some Lutheran circles, that, that if a person is baptized as an infant, then no matter how they live the rest of their earthly life, no matter if they ever went to church again, uh, even if they never read their Bible, even if they lived like the devil, they're still saved because of their infant baptism. However, in the Free Lutheran Church, we do teach that God does something in the life and the heart of an infant, even at baptism. He, he begins that work of faith in the heart, a, a faith that in order to grow and not die must be fed and, and nurtured by hearing the word of God. Baptism doesn't save apart from Jesus. It, it is a means of grace, a, a means God uses to bring a person to saving faith in Christ. And, and Peter also says this about it. He says, baptism into Christ is our appeal to God for a good conscience. Every single one of us lives our life with a guilty conscience. We all, we all have known the right thing to do at times and have done the opposite. And our conscience then condemns us. And in and of ourselves, there's no escaping its accusations. But, but baptism connects us with the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and we are reminded then that he has paid the penalty for all of our sins. And he has won the victory over death. And his resurrection then vindicates his claims to be the Son of God who has the power to forgive our sins and to grant us eternal life. Now, there's just one more thing related to Christ's suffering I want to touch on today, and I'm not sure if Pastor Ryan might pick this up some next week. Maybe, maybe not. Let that be up to him. 
But I want to look just at chapter 4, the beginning of it, because it ties in with this very much. And there it reminds us that since Christ suffered on our behalf, how are we to live? Christ's suffering in the flesh is our example. He invites us then to be willing to suffer in the flesh while we're here on this earth and also then to join in his mission of helping eternal souls come to know him as their Savior and Lord, even if that means that we go through persecution and suffering. <clears throat> Look at chapter 4, and I read beginning at verse 1, and it says this. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that's past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. <clears throat> Christ's suffering changes our thinking and our life's purpose. We're no longer to live for human passions, but for the will of God. The time has passed for such living. Our time here on earth is too short to waste. Our, our new goal is to not just live for ourselves, but to bring others to God through Jesus Christ. Remember I mentioned at the beginning how the coming end of something shapes in our mindset and causes us to take action. And so winter's coming and so we busy ourselves getting our, work, our fall work done and getting ready for winter. Well, judgment day is coming. And so we adjust our priorities to the things that really matter. I want to wrap this up today the Lord's put on my heart three applications of this passage of Scripture. Perhaps there's someone here today who, who doesn't have a clear conscience. You, you carry a load of guilt for something that you've done in the past, and it's a heavy load, and it weighs on your conscience continually. Well, God's word today invites you, bring it to the cross. Bring it to the cross of Jesus Christ and leave it there, and know that trusting in him you stand forgiven. Maybe also there's someone listening who's uh, currently been living for the flesh, you might say, to satisfy the human passions and, that are described in these last verses I read. And, and you know that your heart is not right with God. But in light of the reminder from God's word today that our time on earth is short and that we need to be ready for eternity, you don't want to put it off any longer. I'm invited by God's word to come and confess your sin and allow the Lord to turn your life around. And today can be that day as you come to him in prayer. And also then, perhaps there's someone listening who has been a Christian even for years. And you've slipped into some things that aren't good. And God's word has told you today the time already passed is sufficient for you to have lived that way. And you want God's help to change and to live for him. You're invited to come to Jesus in prayer with that as well. Let's, let's do that now. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the things that you've taught us today. Help us to understand the things that are a challenge, 
But Lord, thank you that it is so clear that you want us to know forgiveness of sin and eternal life in Jesus. Thank you that he went to the cross that we could have forgiveness. And Lord, if there be somebody here today who um, is struggling under a load of guilt in their conscience, Lord, we pray that as they come to you with that burden, uh, it would be lifted and they'd be reminded it's, it's left there. It's forgiven. And Lord, help us um, each that we would live our lives for you. If there be somebody who has been living for the things of this world and it's been pulling them down into things that aren't good, Lord, we pray that you would uh, today help them, that that would change, that they would come to know you as their Lord and Savior if they haven't before, Lord, but also um, for us who are Christians too, that are pulled by the things of the world, that you would draw us to yourself. And, and Lord, that you would help us, that we'd live for you in light of eternity. And, and Lord, we just thank you for your word today. And, and we ask that you'd help us, that we would be willing um, to be bold, like Peter was, and to be witnesses for you, because there's so many around us that yet need to know you and the hope that we have within us. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.